Well, thank you, Zach. Good morning, First Family. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen? I'll set this to normal people height and let's talk, all right? So we're, as, as Zach was reading that, I was trying to think about if you had not been a part of our, our series and today is your first day walking into our church and you're like, what kind of scripture passage have they chosen for today? This is a little bit on the dark side. Let me encourage you. Be back next week, all right? Let's tip our hand a little bit and say we're going to get the other half of this story next week in Revelation 19. When I started this series way back in January, Revelation 19 was the series, the sermon that I started with. I've been working on it, let's see, 11 months? So come loaded for bear next week, all right? But to get there, you have to understand what the other side of the coin is, and that's where we are today. We picked it up last week, and now we pick it up again today. Revelation 18 is the culmination of the fact God's holiness, God's judgment, God's righteousness has to be made right. All the sin of the world and all those who have rejected God's righteousness and holiness, it has to be brought back into focus. His holiness means something. And when we disregard it, when we reject it, when we lay it aside, there is a penalty for that. Now, this is a twofold warning. The first is a word of warning for those who are outside of Christ. It says, hey, make sure you remember, things will not always be like they are. There is an expiration date. Prepare accordingly. And the other purpose of Revelation is a word of encouragement to those in Christ that things will not always be as they are. This moment where sin is embraced and unrighteousness exalted, it will not last forever. When we get to Revelation 18, the first half that we took up last week, we see that Babylon... Not just the city, but the whole sexual, uh, sec secular, let me get my Freudian slip out of the way now. The secular culture is coming down. The whole system is collapsing. And what will stand is only that which is eternal. God, his righteousness, his holiness, his kingdom, and his people. When we get to this point, verse 9 through the end of the chapter, we're going to find some things that are going to give us a different perspective. We're going to see things differently. Because when, when, when you are, are watching a movie for the first time, you don't know how it works out. And so it, the tension builds throughout it. And if it's a good movie, it resolves itself at the end. This is the end. We know how things play out. I've had some people ask me over the years, Darren, how can you be so calm when uh, the world around you is going crazy? This is why. Revelation 18 and 19, I know how the book ends. I know how it plays out. I can afford to be calm. I can afford to be relaxed. Not only do I know how the book ends, I know the author of it. And you can too. When we get to this first section, we 
we see something sad. The fall of Babylon has come. And verses 9 through 24 are going to give us a very detailed walk through the fall of Babylon. What you will see today will be the saddest thing that our world, the created world, has ever seen. It will bring a crash to everything financially, structurally, even governmentally that we've ever known. And it will bring it to a crash in order that God can rebuild it as he promised he would. Babylon, in the first half of uh, Revelation 18, is fallen. Not just once, but twice. Go back and see it there in verse 3, I believe. Fallen. Fallen is Babylon. That's symbolic. That's telling you how bad this fall really is. When we get to verse 9, we see that there are some who will mourn for her as she falls down into a heap. There are some who will mourn for her. But those who mourn for her are the profiteers. Those who have used and abused her. Those who have exalted themselves with what they have, what they have gained. Well, pick it up with me in verse 15. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth for her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and worth, with pearls, in a single hour. All this wealth has been laid waste. And the shipmasters and seafaring men Sailors and all who trade or on the sea stood afar and they cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned and cried aloud, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she's been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven. And you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Weeping and wailing, we see it throughout the section that Zach read and now that I've read. But it is not out of remorse or repentance. I want you to see this now. This is important. They're not grieving the people of the city of Babylon. Get this now. This is important. They're not grieving the people of the city of Babylon that have been lost. Did you see it there? They're grieving what they have lost, what they don't have anymore, the things that have been taken from them. That whole laundry list that Zach read there, I want you to see that. It is like an inventory. Now, you know we're getting close to the end of the year, and when I used to work at retail shops, we do inventory once a year where we take stock of what we had and know how to balance the books about against what we bought earlier in the year. Can I tell you, friends, that list that is given there, it is all the things that people counted worthy, that people thought were important, people thought were significant. And now in a single hour, 
All of it is gone. But that's not what they're mourning. They're mourning over their loss of capacity to make profit. Their perspective, friends, has been lost. It's not even that they're weeping and wailing over God's judgment. They are under the wrath of God. Friends, there is no worse place to be than under the wrath of God. You are on the business end, the wrong end of his holiness. They're not weeping for that either. They're weeping for what they can't do anymore because things have changed. Can I tell you today, my friends, this reminds me forevermore of a movie. Now, if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, then you've noticed that I've said something about being perhaps a little bit addicted to Christmas music. Let's just talk about that for a second. I'm going somewhere with this, all right? So go with me. I don't guess you have much choice, so just ride along, all right? I believe Christmas music is a beautiful and gracious gift. I said in, in, a, in a post that I posted in early October that I was listening to Christmas music already. My son made fun of me and said, Daddy, you've been listening to Christmas music since June. It's true. And I make no apologies for it. Why? Because I believe there is joy in that. And why reserve that only for a few weeks a year? But you know what? There's a movie, Christmas Carol. Was book first. And there's a scene that I thought of when I was preparing this portion to come talk to you. It's the scene near the end when the, the ghost of Christmas future comes to visit Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, he shows Ebenezer the scene of someone who has died, and he seen, the scene unveils itself and all these people are just taking what they can get from his house because there's no one left to mourn for him. There's no one who grieves for him. Ebenezer in terror asks, who is this pitiless person? And it's then that Ebenezer learns it is himself. Can I tell you, my friends, this is the fate of Babylon as well? Don't misunderstand me. The Babylon that existed then was Rome. A more significant world power we don't know in that era. For a thousand years almost, Rome was the big dog. They were the bully. To think of them falling to this point when they are utterly collapsed was just unfathomable. How can that even happen? And yet... When you reject God's holiness, when you reject the offer of Christ's forgiveness, when you reject God over and over, when you double down on that by exporting your wickedness and your sexual immorality and all the things that are wrong, when you attack God's people and you persecute them, don't be surprised when God comes to call. Here, friends, is exactly that moment. There are those who mourn. But it is not out of remorse. It is out of a loss uh, for what they would have gained. There's an opposite side to this same coin. You'll see it in verse 20 if you pay attention. It's the opposite side of the vengeance that God has 
enacted against those who are attacking his people is a vengeance on behalf of the saints. Avenging the saints is the opposite side of Babylon's vengeance. You see, God told his people all along, I'll make it right. Trust me. For those who are faithful to Christ, they're invited to rejoice as God's judgment comes into view. It's not that we are compelled to be glad at someone else's suffering. It's not that we're to rejoice when we see someone else fall. It is not that at all. Rather, it is the sense of this is why God created the created order in the first place, to bring all these things right, to bring his holiness to culmination and to enact his kingdom. This, friends, is the fullest purpose for which God set things in motion in the first place. This is what Ephesians 1 talks about when it speaks of from the foundations of the world. Oh, brothers and sisters, let me just tell you this right now. As we see the vengeance that comes on Babylon, let us realize it is to bring God's people vengeance as well. It is not something that we can celebrate or that we should celebrate. Rather, it is something that we simply recognize. The rejoicing that comes is a celebration of God's holiness finally set right. Thus, God's people can't afford to rejoice because, get this, the shepherd has come to care for the sheep. And as Jesus said in Matthew 25, he has separated the sheep from the goats. So why do we have this section? What is it that would cause God to give us this porthole, this view, this perspective? Well, let me just suggest that perspective is everything. Not just what you see, but how you see it. And you know, continuing this, this kind of thinking about Christmas movies, I was thinking about one of my favorite Christmas movies, Elf. Maybe you've seen it. If you're not familiar with the story, I'll just give it to you in a nutshell. Elf is about Buddy. Buddy is a human who grows up in the elf world at the North Pole. Only Buddy doesn't know he's a human. He thinks he's an elf. And so he is raised as an elf. And it isn't until he's much older that he recognizes that. When he does so, he goes to New York to try to meet his biological father. And things get weird from there. But eventually they work out because Santa needs Buddy's help in New York. It's a great story and one that I highly recommend. You might say, I don't like Will Ferrell, the man who plays that. Me neither. This is the most un-Will Ferrell movie that Will Ferrell stars in that I think I've ever seen. There's one scene that every time it comes up, I expect it, I anticipate it, and I still laugh myself silly. One of the things that catches my attention about that is the way that Elf's story is told. They used very, very few digital effects. And one of the most remarkable scenes is when Buddy is portrayed as growing up. They wanted to portray Buddy as not just larger than the elves, but human compared to elf size, meaning the elves needed to look very small against him. Now, Mr. Farrell, the actor that played it, he's a big man anyway. 
but they wanted him to look even bigger. And so they used a perspective, a, a, a way of storytelling that they call forced perspective. I got a couple of pictures I want to show to illustrate my point. Let's take a look at this one. This is how they actually filmed it. Now you can see Mr. Farrell is not that much bigger. He's an adult to these children, but when you see it like this, it looks completely absurd. Now see it as they force your perspective into the room. Now which one of those pictures is accurate? Well, the answer is both of them. They just put the two of them together. They just forced you to see the story the way they wanted you to see it. When we see Revelation 18, it is a moment of forced perspective. For a long time, Babylon has had the capacity to force our perspective, to channel our attention one particular way and say, this is the way you're going to look at it. To force our perspective and say, look here, not there. To force our perspective and think a certain way. God has given us another alternative and said, you don't have to think like that. You can think like this instead. You can see the kingdom of heaven differently. You can see the kingdom of Babylon differently. But you must choose to. This is the difference between those who receive revelation as a word of warning and those who receive it as a word of encouragement. Can I tell you, my friends, when we see Revelation 18, the veil falls. The forced perspective is gone, and we see things for what they really are, like that first picture. When we see it for what it really is, we go, well, that just looks silly. And we realize we've been deceived. When we see Revelation 18, I want you to understand this, friends. When we see it play out, we will understand that we have been deceived. Babylon has tricked us. For those who have counted on Babylon to carry the weight, for those who have counted on Babylon to save them, oh, beloved friends, it's going to be a devastating day. They're going to be broken, not just physically, but emotionally spiritually, psychologically. They will be shattered. And they'll wonder, where is God? Why didn't he come in? And they'll rush to the Father who has waited eagerly all of their lives and from the foundations of the world to this time. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. Let's start with this one. How's your perspective? What is it that you see? Whose story are you receiving? I've been told that our lives are stories. The story that you tell yourself is the one that you will believe. Jesus invites you to tell his story. Babylon wants you to tell theirs. The two are mutually exclusive. Which perspective is yours? I want to encourage you to trust what is eternal to deliver you. Let's be clear. Babylon is not eternal. 
she will fall. And when she falls, she will break into a million pieces. We'll come up on that in just a moment. Babylon is not eternal. The kingdom of Christ is. Trust what is eternal to deliver you. Now let's finish Revelation 18. As Babylon's destruction is completed and the saints avenged. Pick it up with me in verse 21. Then a mighty angel <clears throat> took a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be no more. The sound of harpists, musicians, of flute players, and trumpeters will be heard in you no more, and a craftsman of many crafts will be found in you no more, and the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more, and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of the bride, bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Go back with me to verse 21. We see a mighty angel throws down Babylon heap. Herein is the final fall of the highest empire on the earth known to that time. They who were fabulously wealthy, insatiably greedy, and unbelievably powerful will find themselves crushed under the weight of their own arrogance, their selfishness, their anger has caused them to bear the weight of God's judgment. And let's be clear, friends. God's judgment did not come to them because God was being unfair. The accusations against God being unfair are legion. I've heard all of them multiple times. Until God can explain to me, some will say, why there are sick children in the world, then I won't believe in him. I understand that, and to a point, I can agree with it. Why are there sick children? I don't know. It bothers me too. Why is there tragedy in the world? Why is there grief? Why isn't everything set right? I don't have answers for that. But I will say this. My withholding of belief in Christ, because all of my philosophical questions are not answered, does not entitle me to an answer. God doesn't owe me anything. I am the created. He is the creator. The creator does not owe the created anything. He didn't even have to create them. A mighty angel throws down Babylon in a heap. See it in verse 21 again. Took up a stone like a great millstone and tied it around the neck, as it were, Go back to the Sermon on the Mount and you'll see Jesus saying something similar. It would be better for someone who is causing these little ones to fall to have a millstone tied around their neck and be thrown into the sea. I believe John is echoing that very same thing right here. So we've seen this before. For those of us reading through our Bible reading plan, just a couple of weeks ago we read 
Jeremiah 51, where God commanded Jeremiah to pick up a big rock and throw it into the Euphrates River as a sign of the permanent fall of Babylon. This, friends, this is what it looks like, a great crash where no one falls. I thought a lot about how to help you understand this, what this might look like, and a, a thought came to mind. I sent it to our awesome media team and set them to looking at what they might find. I should have known they would come back with something amazing, and indeed they did, of what this, this might look like with someone powerful having a crash happen, and they just don't even care. Take a look at this clip. that they shoot at him and he's like did you just shoot at me how dare you or i just take this he turns and fires at them he doesn't even bother to watch it hit he knows what's going to happen can i tell you today my brothers and sisters in a, a very poor way this is an example of what it will be like for babylon i don't want you there i want you to be anchored in the right place I want you to be secured by the power and authority of God, and I want you to choose the right kingdom to place your allegiance to. Let us be clear. When the fall comes, many will be shocked, and many others will declare God's not right in doing so. Still yet others will attack God's people. But let me be also clear about this. Assaulting God's people is an assault on God himself. When you come for the people of God, you are coming to attack God himself. See it again in verse 24. In her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Babylon's great sin is here. These who have been witnesses to Jesus are those who are killed at Babylon's hands. Assaulting God God's people is an assault on God himself. The pain and grief of this life will be overwhelmed by the shalom, peace, and comfort of the next life. I want to give you two things, and with this we'll close. One, what are you trusting to protect you? If this crash came today, if the events of Revelation 18 began to come into view today, and that crash began to happen in slow motion, what are you counting on to protect you? If it's the things around you, if it's your bank account, if it's your job, if it's your grades, if it's your, 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 your social standing, all of those things will wash away. There's only one thing that has an eternity behind it and an eternity ahead. That is Jesus himself. Who will protect you? Who will protect you? 
I ask you this because I want you to ask it of yourself. You know, next week, next week the, the situation changes dramatically. If you want to look ahead and cheat, you're welcome to. Next week, we arrive at the marriage supper of the bride, the church, and the lamb who died to save her. Next week, we arrive at a celebration, and rightfully so, we've waited all year for it. Next week, we'll arrive at a, a, a wonderful moment, but you know what? Not everybody will be there. Not everybody will be there. I want to ask you, will you? Who will protect you? This is an important question, and it's one that I want you to answer right now for yourself. For you see, the way you answer that question, it will determine what you do going forward, which kingdom you belong to, and what moment you choose to embrace it. Can I tell you today, friends, today is the day of choosing. What will you do with Jesus? For the Babylonians, they rejected him and said, no, we've got it. We'll protect ourselves. For those in Christ, they've counted on his blood. For those in Babylon, when they arrive at the judgment throne of God, they'll only have their own self to proclaim why they should be let in. For those of us in Christ, we can declare, we, we come under the blood of Jesus. Who will protect you? I want to ask you that because I want you to ask it of yourself. Who will protect you? Today, you get the chance to make a decision about that. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, today's the day to do it. In just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And you're going to get the chance to come down here and talk to me and my staff and maybe come into this altar and say, Jesus, I want to call on your name to be the one who protects me. This reality is coming. I want to encourage you today. If you've never made that right, if you've never gotten that done, then today is your day. If you're not in this building, then use the text number as it comes up on the screen. Can I tell you today, friends, this is your day to declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe, just maybe you've already done that, but you don't have a church home to walk with you. We'd love to be that for you. Come down and let's talk about how you can be a part of the First Baptist family. We want you to be a part of this family of faith. Maybe you've realized today you've received Christ as your Savior and you're trusting in him to protect you, but you've chosen the wrong place to build your kingdom. This altar is open for you to ask Jesus for a chance to start over. Today is your day. What will you do with it?